Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you are in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about Missouri's new voucher legislation, and more specifically, whether the new law permits or promotes disability discrimination. On its face, the new voucher law purports to be for students with disabilities and students who are economically disadvantaged. But when you look more closely at the text of the law, it creates substantial questions as to whether it was written in a way to allow private schools who will receive scholarship money under the program to discriminate against students with disabilities. So with me today to talk through the new legislation and specifically the law's potential impact on students with disabilities are two people that many of you know, and they are my partners, Emily Omohundro and Rachel Meistet. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here, and so we've tried to kind of focus it a little bit more narrowly than talking about the legislation as a whole. But uh, let's just start with the language of the law itself. And if you don't mind, Emily, I'm going to turn to you and ask you if you can kind of tell us or what you can tell us uh, generally about the new legislation that passed the session that creates a voucher system for at least some of Missouri students. Sure. So um, House Bill 349 establishes what's called the Missouri Empowerment Scholarship Accounts Program. So for the rest of the podcast, we'll just call it MESAP to shorten that up a little bit. That that works for me. I don't know if uh, there's a better way to pronounce it. So that'll work. Yep. So, So MESAP is created by House Bill 349. And um, educational assistance organizations are able to be created essentially by charitable organizations. And taxpayers can donate money to these educational assistance organizations and receive a tax credit for those donations. And then the educational assistance organization is tasked with essentially handing out scholarships to qualified students in order for qualified students to attend what the legislation calls qualified schools. So who is a qualified student is defined by the legislation and who is considered a qualified school is also defined by the legislation. Okay, so how do students with disabilities fit into uh, that equation, Emily? So students with disabilities come into this equation based on the definition of qualified students in the legislation. So qualified students who can receive these scholarships are broken out into three different groups, essentially. Um, One group is students who are living in a household whose total annual income does not exceed an amount equal to 100% of the free and reduced lunch rate that we look at um, for free and reduced lunch prices for kiddos. So that's one group of kiddos. And then another group of qualified students is if their income doesn't exceed 200% of the amount of that free and reduced number. And then the third group of students is uh, students who have an approved IEP. And so those students don't have 
income requirements in order to be able to qualify for these scholarships. They're qualified simply by virtue of the fact that they have an IEP. So if you look at the summary of the bill or looked at something that's written up about the bill, it would look on its face like it's actually uh, in favor of assisting students with disabilities. Is that right? That's right, because no income level applies to that group of kids. So it doesn't matter if what the free, how their family's household income compares to the free and reduced lunch numbers that are listed in this legislation. If you have an IEP uh, and you're a student with a disability, then you are eligible for this program. Thanks for that, Emily. I'm, I, Rachel, I wanna kind of rope you into this conversation a little bit here. Um, you work and do a lot of work for Ed Council, uh, and you kind of lead our efforts with respect to students with disabilities. And so I want to ask you, you know, you've taken a look at the legislation, the new legislation. Um, you know, how uh, do you have any concerns about how the legislation impacts students with disabilities? Quite a few. Okay. Um, I, know we'll, <laughs> I know we'll get into each one in um more detail as we kind of talk through this, Dwayne, but I mean, on the face of it, when you're looking at requirements of qualified schools and then requirements for students to be qualified students, um, it's clear that students who have greater needs are at minimum going to have difficulty participating in the MESAT program, and um, a lot of them are not going to be eligible at all. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that caught my eye right away in looking at the statute, because it seemed to me like a glaring omission, is that when there is uh, some level of discussion about uh, the, uh, you know, the individual students that would be protected from discrimination, uh, it's a limited list, right? It's not the same as what we would normally see. It's very limited. So the legislation itself says that qualified schools can't discriminate on the basis of race, color, and national origin. And so all of our um, school employees and everyone listening here are going to understand that that is an extremely short list compared to the list that they have to put together and put out on an annual basis. Um, so we're missing things like religion, gender, and um, very importantly for this podcast, of course, disability. And so on the face of the law itself, the absence of a requirement that these schools do not discriminate against people with disabilities essentially allows them to discriminate against students with disabilities. Okay, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because the, you know, in most statutes, you're going to have this uh, rather extensive list of protected classifications, as you said, and it's going to include uh, the three that are listed in the MESAP statute, but it's also going to include uh, disabilities, it's going to include gender, it's going to include a number of other protected classes. But in this instance, um, and, and for example, we would have Missouri Human Rights Act, which all of our public school districts are going to be subject to because we're a place of a public accommodation and we're uh, an employer. And so there are a number of things that are going to capture us under that. And we're going to have to ensure that we do not discriminate against all of those classes, right? Uh, so, but here, some of this public money is going to go to private schools, and they're not subject to the Missouri Human Rights Act. Is that 
kind of what's happening here? Exactly. Um, and so if they accept this MESAP money, um, the only time that they might, you know, get into some hot water from a discrimination standpoint would be if they start discriminating against race, color, or national origin. But all because, of those other protected classes don't come into play. Because they're specifically listed out in this statute is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. I'm with you now. And so um, that seems like a, a pretty glaring omission to me to, to not have uh, a number of different categories, and we can talk about those other categories, but you know, to try to stay focused, we're looking here about uh, specifically students with disabilities and, and the fact that in, in effect, by having that omission, it's saying it's not prohibiting a private school from discriminating against a student with a disability, correct? Right. Okay, so as we look at this thing, um, that kind of spells out the practical implications, I think, for the omission. It sets it up so that a private school is not under that umbrella of, okay, we need to make sure that we're not discriminating against students with disabilities. But I guess one of the things that I would ask is that can a private school today, uh, before this law goes into effect, can a private school in its admissions or otherwise just say we're going to discriminate against a student with a disability? In generally, yes, they can. I mean, they the argument there, it's similar to the discussion that school districts have when they're trying to determine um, if a sport would be appropriate for a student. And so in that review, we're looking at whether we're going to have to fundamentally alter our program in order to allow a student with a disability to participate in that sport. And so with a private school, um, they're subject to the ADA. And so whenever they are looking at whether they can accommodate a student with a disability, they're gonna be looking at whether they would have to fundamentally alter their program in order to accommodate that student. And if the answer to that is yes, then they do not have to allow that student to be a student. They don't have to allow them to enroll. And so a lot of times um, that's accomplished by um, admissions requirements and um, curriculum and those sorts of things. Okay, so as we as we look at it, um, and we're talking about this particular statute, if if you have a student that is high need student or a student that has significant uh, supports that need to be put in place for them to receive their education, such as a student that's either severely disabled or they have uh, you know extensive special needs, in that instance, it, the private school could just make the argument, "Hey, we're going to have to alter, and therefore we're not required to accommodate them." Is that kind of what exactly okay. yes yes okay and i kind of cut you off you were talking about different concerns um there's one that relates to the courses i think that have to be taken can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that sure so um students in order to be qualified students they have to be able to receive education um, in english language arts math science and social studies and so, um, as, you know, students with severe disabilities are very likely um, and very probably not going to be able to participate in English language arts, math, science, and social studies in a grade level classroom in a private school that does not offer any sort of specific tailoring for that student, services and supports, um, those sorts of things. And, um, Another concerning aspect of the law 
is that MESAP itself specifically states that these private schools shall not be required to modify their curriculum by participation in the MESAP program. And so essentially, if these students with disabilities, and especially these severely disabled students um, who cannot participate on grade level, um, they may actually be in more like life skills centered classes, are likely to be not considered qualified students due to the language of the law. Okay, so in other words, um, they may not be able to meaningfully uh, participate and receive an education in some areas. Maybe it's a, um, you know, a student that is uh, has been a life skills student and uh, they need to participate in a social studies class. That may not be something that uh, is possible. But it, I think there's also the aspect of the private school really doesn't have any obligation to modify anything to make it available for that student. Is that what you're saying? Right, exactly. And really... I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we all know that these students with severe disabilities um, come with significant costs to provide them with appropriate education. Given that there's a higher cost associated with serving them, and then the law does not require that the, the private school do that in the first place, um, it sets up a system where these private schools um, are in no way incentivized to provide services to students with disabilities, and they're likely not going to. So what they can really do is if they want the MESAP money, they just pick and choose the kids that they take, right? Because right. so they can't be required to take any particular kid and because uh, they can't be required to alter their admissions policy. And so what they'll simply do is take kids that are less expensive to educate. Is that kind of the point that you're making? Yes. Unfortunately. Okay. Yes. I got it. Um all good, I think, very good points on this. Um, so let me uh, kind of turn back to Emily, if it's all right, if you're still with us there. Um, you, you know, one of the other things I noticed related to the requirement that students release uh, their rights and how that might play out for a disabled student. You want to talk a little bit about that? I do. So when we talk about qualified students who are participating in the program. There are certain requirements for participation. And one of those requirements is that the parents or guardians release the district of residence from all obligations to educate the qualified student while the qualified student is enrolled in the program in MESAP. So that has a few implications. Um, one of those is that the release is going to have the effect of the student being excluded from any proportionate share special education services that the student may be entitled to through the, their public school district of residence. Um, if they're attending a private school or a home school within their district of residence. And then they're also essentially releasing all of the parents and students' abilities to have any sort of special education services or procedural safeguards that we would typically see within a public school setting um, regarding students who have disabilities and need certain services or who aren't receiving services appropriately. 
So uh, basically what you're saying is that uh, I want to make sure I understand we've got um, students that are they're going to maybe enroll in a or try to enroll in a private school. But in order to do that, they've got to release the, the local public school of any obligations to serve them under IDEA. Is that kind of the upshot there? Right. So those students are still entitled to um, be evaluated for disabilities, you know, kind of that child find and evaluation obligation. And so that may still occur. Ironically, if they're enrolled in the program, it doesn't matter if it occurs because they could be evaluated and determined that they do in fact have a disability, but because they're going to be enrolled in MESAP, there's absolutely no obligation for their school, the qualified school that they're attending to provide any services related to those disabilities. So um, it would be basically for information only to have your child evaluated by your local district. And along those lines, when you're talking about procedural safeguards and legal recourse and that sort of thing, you know, they're going to be giving that up to the local school as to the local school district. But it sounds like they're also not really uh, in, you know, entitled to the same procedural safeguards to a private school that they might be attending. Is that correct? That's correct. There are none. So if a parent believes that their student is not being served appropriately in the school they're attending through the MESAP program, uh, the private school that they're attending through a MESAP program, there are no, there is no recourse for that. So the net effect is that if I'm a parent of a student with a disability, I'm probably not going to want, you know, especially if if I have a student that's going to be expensive to educate, meaning that there are lots of supports that have been provided in the past by my local school district. I'm just not going to enroll in the MESAP program because I'm actually it's going to be a net loss to me in terms of the services that my child's going to receive. So. That would certainly be what you would think would happen. Um, I think the issue is, you know, since this legislation passed, um, you know, we've all looked at a lot of resources and information out there about the effect of these kinds of programs across the country. And <clears throat> there's, there's some great resources out there that show data and information from other states who have programs like this. And, you know, what has been found is that often parents who sign up, who have students with disabilities and sign up for these sort of programs don't actually understand what it is it is that they're releasing because it's complicated. And um, they may go ahead and get into a program and not truly realize the impact of that decision um, on their ability to receive services. So are they then kind of pulling back from enrollment or how's that? working in other places? So, I mean, I think that what typically ends up happening is you get a huge setback in terms of your child's education and you end up returning to a public school setting who can adequately and appropriately serve your child. And then we've lost so much time and, and, you know, education for that child. So um, if parents are able to really dig in to the law and or the legislation and the information that is going to be out there, then I think that they would have a good understanding of what it is they're giving up in order to participate. Um, but the other issue, I think, and Rachel, please feel free to weigh in on this, 
when we talk about proportionate share services, technically, um, students who attend a private school in their district of residence are entitled to receive proportionate share services um, for from their local district if they're paying to go to the private school. But students who participate in MESAP are releasing their local district from having to provide those proportionate share services to students who are taking those scholarships. So that means that self-pay private school students would be entitled to proportionate share services while students who need these scholarships or feel they need these scholarships aren't going to get those services. And that seems pretty backwards to me as well. Good point, good point. You know, I'm gonna uh, try to close this out here because we've had some kind of in-depth discussion about this one aspect of the new statute, but um, it is something that is, uh, you know, going to be need to be reviewed by Governor Parson, and he's going to have to make a decision about, um, you know, what he thinks about the, this new law. But uh, it does have some aspects of it that would be particularly troubling for uh, many who are reviewing it. Um, I appreciate your insights, ladies. Uh, very valuable uh, thoughts on on this particular topic. And so we thank you for those. And we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today. And we hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And you can check us out uh, on our website, which just Google Ed Council, E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-O, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together today, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insight.